0: Well, good morning. morning. Welcome to Bridgewater Tuncanic. Thank you for welcoming welcoming me here this morning. As Adam said, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Bridgewater. We are excited that we are one church, and we are excited that we are many locations. Uh, it, is, it is really, really, really exciting times at Bridgewater. Not only here as uh, we consider the possibility of Kurt and Amanda coming on board, and I just want to tell you from a staff perspective, we would be thrilled. Um, we are very excited in what God is doing, and we love how God has positioned us, and, and we're really looking to see who God is going to bring. We're not trying to, uh, to help this church move forward. We have a box that we're trying to fill so that we can do it. No, we're looking at who God has brought to us, and, and just going to do it through whoever he's provided, and uh, we think that this is a great thing, and we're super excited. But that's not the only good news I have this morning. I got a note here to to read as well um, about other good news. Um, The pastoral vacancy here at Tunkhannock campus was not our only pastoral vacancy. We also had one at our Vestal campus, and I am happy to report to you on behalf of the overseers and the directional leadership team that the overseers have unanimously appointed a candidate for the Vestal campus as well. Uh, Aaron and Amanda Patton are are, are the names. Aaron uh, is currently serving as a, a lead pastor in Kansas City, Missouri, has been there for the last 16 years. It's been quite a journey as uh, we've gotten connected, and it is just such a small world. Uh, but God uh, brought them on our radar, radar through Doc and Carol Bixby. So, um we, it was an easy introduction, and uh, he and Amanda will be going through a similar process at Vestal as Kurt and Amanda are here in Tunkhannock, coming out a few times uh, between now and when that campus will vote on him as well. So very, very exciting things. We've got more to announce, I think, in coming weeks, but for now, we'll just keep it right there. And I do want to say thank you uh, to you, Bridgewater Tunkhannock, because yesterday we celebrated the life of Carol Bixby. And if you were there, uh, you would have seen a ton of familiar faces uh, because the people of Bridgewater Tunkhannock especially really, really just gave of their time, their efforts, their energies to serve, and that was no small thing. Uh, it was really, really wonderful to celebrate Carol's life and, um, and just be an encouragement to, to Doc and the rest of the family. Now, here's what I'm going to do, and I'm just going to be real up front with you, um, we are introducing a brand new series today, okay? It's six weeks from the book of First Corinthians, and I'm going to take what time I have to do my level best to both provide context for this series and then for the message today. And here's what's going to happen. You're going to hear things in the coming weeks that you're going to, it might cause you to raise an eyebrow, maybe two. And you're going to hear things about the church and Corinth that, uh, that we're going to be studying and think, that's strange, that's weird. And I just need to tell you right now, stop that. Just, don't, just stop it before it starts. What you need to do is hear what you're going to hear in the coming weeks and say, okay, these people are just like me. These people are my people. This is the world where I live because we do ourselves a disservice when we hear something written in the word of God and think it was for someone else at some other time. It was for someone else at some other time, but it's so significant for us today because it is God's word. So with that, we're going to get going in 1 Corinthians. Now, The Apostle Paul, the most prolific, prominent missionary the world has ever known, wrote this letter to a group of gathered followers of Jesus, a church, in a town called Corinth. And today, Corinth is just that, a small town in the country of Greece. At the time that Paul wrote this letter, it was a major uh, center, uh, a cultural center, socioeconomic center. It was a hub for all kinds of things. It was kind of a big-time city. In fact, Corinth was known as the place where you could go on vacation from morality. Okay, you get that? It's, it's the kind of place where you could go, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Maybe Corinth was a little bit like that. People would go there to be able to do the things that they knew they shouldn't do but they could get away with them in Corinth. It was that kind of place. And Paul had traveled there telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ. And shock of all shocks, the gospel, the message of Jesus, grows and explodes in the most unlikely of places. And so in this dark place that was full of wickedness and sin and anti-God, people heard the good news of Jesus, and they, like the four people here, surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. Can I just be quick to point out really, just real fast, I work with students a lot in Bridgewater, and three of these four are students, and one of them was a child who was led to Jesus by a student. And here this morning, we have a student, Georgina, who baptized another student. So there's God's working top to bottom in Bridgewater Church, and we love it, and we love it. And so The gospel just keeps spreading, and it did here in Corinth as well. So these people, they heard the good news, and um, Paul, it was amazing, Paul didn't go to Corinth, tell them about Jesus and say, now get out of here, this is a wicked place. No, Paul went to the crossroads of culture and society and preached the good news of Jesus there. I think it's interesting that Amanda is serving in Tunkhannock Public School, not shrinking back from community, but throwing herself into community, being a light in what can be a dark place. Love that. That is who we are at Bridgewater. And I think it's significant because one of the easiest things to do as followers of Jesus is to duck and cover instead of go and tell. And we need to be going and telling. Uh, Light shows up as light when everything else around is dark. And that is what is happening here in Corinth. That's what we want to be happening here. So with that being said, The Apostle Paul is talking to these people about what Jesus has done for them, um, but they're beginning to go off the rails a little bit. They're getting a little bit confused, and there's going to be some problems coming up that he's going to address, and we'll tackle a few of those in the coming weeks. It's a six-week series. There's 15 chapters in this letter. Uh, We're not going to cover everything, but you're going to find problems that this church is running into in the coming weeks. And again, as I said, cause you to raise an eyebrow or two and think, what in the world? How did that happen? We're going to find out. But Paul addresses them today with a couple very important things we're going to need to latch onto if we're going to understand the rest of this letter. So let me start like this. Here's a picture behind me of my high school basketball team. And there I am. All right, so we were, uh, just look at us, we're nothing special. We're just a team. We got some good shooters, but we're not all-stars. We got some good rebounders, nothing special there, good passers, good ball handlers. We were okay. But our team's success was not dependent upon any one person's performance. We weren't that kind of team. Now, we played those kind of teams. I actually had the privilege of playing against a couple of guys who made it to the NBA or played uh, some significant college ball. So we had good competition. Let me tell you, this is Indiana basketball, all right? So just show some respect, okay? Uh, We didn't have any incredible athletes. We just had, you know, each other. And that's what our coaches leaned into, Knowing that none of us was a standout, none of us was an all-star, none of us could take the team and put them on our shoulders and go win the game, here's the types of things our coach would continually tell us. Play your game. Don't be distracted by what the other team is doing or how they're playing. Just do your thing. Remember what makes you who you are. No single one of you can win this game. And sometimes they look at me and say, Josh, if you keep shooting, we're not going to win. Okay but we can win all together. And we knocked off some powerhouse teams in the state of Indiana. It was really, really fun. But sometimes when we would watch a standout athlete, someone who is so, so good, we would think maybe that's the way we ought to be doing it. Maybe even though he's so much better, maybe I should try a little bit of that. I'd be quickly rebuked for it or benched if I did. But like that, it's easy to lose sight of what makes you successful, what makes you, you. You forget about your identity. And in a similar way, Paul is writing to a church, not a basketball team, but a church who's getting a little bit lost in their identity. They're forgetting what makes them successful, what makes them set apart, what helps them to be victorious, living their life. For Jesus and so they're they're easily swayed and they're in this culture again that's godless and thinking maybe I should do it like that and and some of that stuff leaks right into this church and Paul's got to get after them for it because they're just losing a little bit of who they really are who they've been remade in Jesus Christ to be and again We have lots in common with them, so we just need to resist the urge week by week to say they, 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 and we need to say we, we, we. Okay, so let's get into it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the first nine verses is where we're going to be. Here's the way it goes. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. "...together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed." He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Paul the very beginning of this letter is going to, I think, bring to the forefront two key concepts that I want to draw our attention to this morning, because if we can latch on to these two key concepts, they're going to help us understand what we're going to be hearing and experiencing in the rest of this letter. So here they are. First, he says they are sanctified. They're sanctified. That simply means to be declared to be holy. It's, it's really to be set apart. Here's the way this works in, in the realm of basketball. At the beginning of every season, we get a dozen brand new Wilson basketballs, all identical, and they're all on the basketball rack, and our coach would walk over to the rack and find one. He'd pick it up, and he would take his marker, and he would fill in the O in Wilson. So that was filled in. Now, he did that because that dedicated that ball to being the game ball. Which meant it stayed in coach's office. We didn't use it for practice. We didn't use it for anything else. It was the game ball. Nothing about it was special. Again, it was just one of a dozen. He just grabbed it and he made it something else. What Paul is saying to these people is that you have been sanctified. You have been declared to be holy. God did this for you. And specifically, you're set apart in position. You see, the Bible puts us under a curse. and That's the curse of sin because God is holy and we are not. We are all under the curse of sin. All have the same plight, the same struggle. And God, Paul is saying, reached down and sanctified you. Everyone that he's writing to, this is true of. Anyone in this room who has given their life to Jesus Christ in faith has been sanctified. Oh, you're not special. No, 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 you're just, a, game, you're just a, a ball, but you've been set apart. You see, being sanctified doesn't mean you're awesome, it means God is. So what we're trying to say here is there's no room for pride, all right? If, if you're a follower of Jesus today, just take pride, grab it, and throw it away. And it's going to come back at you, you just got to keep putting it away, okay? This is something that God has done, so call, Paul is calling them to, to a level of humility here. Look, I mean, look at verse 2 to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified, there it is, in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Every single person is in need of God's grace. And God, in his goodness, makes it available for every single person. Those who receive it are Sanctified, they're set apart and now are declared holy. Their position before God now is one of relationship, it's one of harmony. This is what God does that we couldn't have done on our own. But then he goes on and he doesn't stop there. It's not just about our position being declared holy, it's also about our choices. And Paul mentions this as well. He says, You are holy people, that is, you are called to be holy. He first says your position is that of sanctified. God has chosen you. And then he says you are called to be holy. This means you're set apart in practice. So it's not just your position that Paul's concerned about, but you are now set apart in practice. All right? This is what you do. So Paul says you've got a lifestyle here, or you've got a, you've got a, a position here, that, in your lifestyle then needs to match it. We, we see this in verse 2. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. Urged to be his holy people. Hello, hey, guys. You have been set apart. Now be holy. He's calling for your position to match your practice. He's calling for what you declare to match what you do. He's saying it should And so what Paul is doing in the rest of this letter is addressing that gap between what's actually true of them and and how they're living. And he wants that gap to get narrower and narrower and narrower so that they are actually living out of their identity. He's helping them to be who they really are in Jesus Christ. So the whole rest of the book is dedicated to helping them move more toward being like Jesus in their practice. And they got this messed up. They missed the mark. So with great effort, and Paul takes great pains to explain to them how they're messing it up and how to make it right. And again, not them, not they. What is it? You're right with me. Love it. Okay, so not only did they forget who they were and what they ought to be doing, but Paul goes on to say, and by the way, you have everything you need for this to be true. God's not holding out on you. He's not, he's not raising the bar so high that you can't get over it. He's actually provided what you need for this to be true. Let's look at the rest of the verses because he continues to explain this. Verse 4 says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. You see what Paul does there is he thanks God. He doesn't thank them. And this is interesting because if you read the other letters, Paul wrote, what, 13 of them in the New Testament? When you read his other letters to churches, he will thank them for their generosity. He will thank them for their faithfulness. He will thank them for um, how they spread the gospel. You know what he thanks the Corinthians for? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. Because there was nothing worth thanking them for. He thanked God for what he had done in their lives. Because honestly, he wasn't seeing the lifestyle. It wasn't matching up. So Paul thanks God for what he can thank God for legitimately about this church. So it's interesting. Nothing positive about them other than that they have been the recipients of God's grace. He then goes on to say that they've been given, and he lists, I think, three resources uh, that they they can use to help their practice match their position. Resources given by grace. Look at verse 5. For in him, in Jesus, you've been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. The first gift they got was Holy Spirit gifts. This is something that the Bible teaches. We read about it. The the writers of Scripture teach us. Paul does a lot. In Romans, in 1 Corinthians, we see uh, gifted people to the church in Ephesians. And God says, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ by faith, you are given at least one spiritual gift that you can exercise within this context that helps people love Jesus more. And Paul says, you guys have been given those. You have them. You have Holy Spirit gifts. You've got knowledge. You've got speech. God has done something special here. Their problem was they just weren't really using it. But Paul was confident that they had it. But there's another gift, another resource that God had given them to help them. Look at verse 8. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. The second resource that he lists here is God's security. It's God's security. And this is important because this is a group of people who were set apart in position but did not look like they were followers of Jesus But Paul says something about security here, meaning that once you are a follower of Jesus, you are always in the family of God. You are secure. This is hard. This is hard because we we look around the eye test. Some people don't pass the eye test. But even as Ben said, he can't see into everyone's heart. He couldn't possibly know every situation. It's both appropriate to judge people's behavior Paul's doing that. Look at what you guys are doing. What's your problem? Get get back in the lane. Okay? And it's also fair to say, yeah, I just don't know. I don't don't know what's in your heart, but I'm, I'm looking at what's going on, and I'm just saying, why the gap? I think this is important for us in church practice. When there's a gap between what we expect and what we actually get, there needs to be a conversation there. And a conversation with the individual, not about the individual okay at Bridgewater we are working hard to develop and maintain a culture where we don't talk about people we talk to people okay if I have a problem with you you will be the person that I will talk to if I have a problem with someone else I will talk to them I will not talk to you about my problem with someone else okay this is the type of place we need to be and the Corinthians got this messed it up but they they are we okay so there we are Amazing how God sticks with us when we often don't feel like sticking with him. God's security, what a gift. Thirdly, look at verse nine, a third resource. And this can be hard to swallow when you begin to unpack the problems in this church. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The third resource right there is Christ's friendship. He's talking to a bunch of messed up people who gathered together under the name of Jesus, and now they're a messed up church. And he says, you have fellowship with Jesus Christ. That seems weird, unless you remember what Jesus did when he was on earth. Was Jesus not the friend of sinners? Was Jesus not caught having dinner with the wicked tax collectors? Did Jesus not approach the woman caught in adultery with compassion Forgive her and send her away to sin no more. Did he not? He did. The people who had the biggest problem with Jesus were the people, were the religious church people. Right? The people least like Jesus really like Jesus. And Jesus seemed to have a soft spot in his heart for them. And I think Paul is reminding this church, hey, listen. No one's beyond the grace of God here. I'm not going to lie. You guys are messed up. But God has not given up on you. You have what you need to do what you need to do. But Paul's careful to point out, when you have the grace of God, it will change you. It will. There will be a change, and that's what Paul is working at. It's not right off the bat. It's not perfectly. But followers of Jesus choose to live differently because of what's happened in our lives. The proof that I'm connected to Jesus is that there is movement in my life. Not that I prayed a prayer at one point, but I am moving toward being like Jesus. Now here's where this can go wrong. Let me show you that basketball picture again. Uh, I wish you could have seen us. Um, we we just played a quality of basketball that I think doesn't exist around here. This is Indiana basketball. It's just better. Than any other basketball. I'm not kidding. Um, but we were not led by an all-star. We were not led by a standout. We were led by hard work and fundamentals. Our coaches would get after us if we didn't touch the end line on a sprint. Do you think Prairie Heights is missing the end line? No, they're touching every end line. Do you think they're jogging right now? They're not jogging. You know, and so we just, and our coaches would say, you will not be anyone on the basis of talent. You don't have it. You're not talented. It was true. (laughs) But what we did have is gritty fundamentals in teamwork and hard work. We were just gonna be the hardest working team out there. And we were gonna do it together. And when we did, awesome things happened. When I recognized my role and how I fit into this thing and I appreciated the role of everyone else, I I wasn't tempted to shoot when I knew that Drew should shoot. I wasn't tempted to dribble. Well, frankly, I shouldn't, anyway. But I just wasn't because I wasn't that guy. I had my role. And if we remembered who we were, if I remembered how we were put together, what made us us, awesome things happened. We won state championship. We were winners. Not because we're good, but because we, we remembered who we were and what made us successful. And I think in a similar way, church, we need to remember who we are. We need to remember what God has done in our lives. And if we can embrace that in ourselves, if we can recognize it in others, oh my goodness, take the lid right off for what God would do even in Bridgewater Tunkhannock, let alone the rest of Bridgewater. What I love, as I said, about Bridgewater is that we are one church. We do this together. Other campus victories are, are your victories. Your victories are everyone else's victories. Everyone is celebrating these four souls. Every number has a name. Every name has a story. And every story matters to God. And we care about that. We love that. But if we're not careful, we're just going to grow numb to things and get confused about things that we, just, we shouldn't. And, and maybe you're here today and you're like, this is a lot of church talk. I just kind of came on the arm of the my friend who invited me. Awesome. Awesome. Here's what I hope you get today. There is hope for you. If you're messed up and a little broken today, oh, you're in the right spot. Because we are too. We are too. Um, God has just done something awesome in our hearts, and we're excited to talk about it. We are. Um, So for the rest of you who would say, oh yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. Let me give you two things to walk away with. First, embrace God's grace in you. I think sometimes we just, I do. Even as, you know, Adam and Kurt were talking and Tim, as a pastor we're just kind of in this stuff all the time. And so you you hear about the grace of God, you read about the work of God and Jesus' death and how he changes lives and yes he does. And I grow numb to precious truths. I grow numb to the fact that I was lost and broken and Jesus set me apart. And it's possible to to come to church and sing about those truths in a very callous way. You are here, moving in our midst. I worship you. I worship you. When's the song going to end? That's me, not you. (laughs) Shouldn't we, of all people, be blown away that God would reach down and do some, anything for a person like me, for a person like you? and, And then just swell with gratitude and then hold out that same hope for other people. I think sometimes we think, man, I'm sure glad God saved me. I don't know about him we we got to flip that. If God can save me, certainly he can save him. And so here's the second thing I want to ask you to do if you're a follower of Jesus today. Celebrate God's grace in others. That what God did for you, he can do for someone else also. We need to have the same hope and the same patience for others as we have for ourselves. Now, next week, we're going to start tackling the problems and issues uh, that are going on in, in this church, okay? And we're going to need to grab a hold tightly to the fact that God has done something in my heart, and I need to celebrate it. I need to just soak in it, and God has done something for my brothers and sisters and friends in this room, and I need to appreciate that and lean into it as well. So let me just get real practical here and how you can embrace God's grace in you and celebrate God's grace in others first. Why don't you just spend time every day, devote some time as you pray this week to thank God for his grace in your life. Ask him to help soften your heart toward it. That you would be moved. That he would take someone who's made the choices that I've made and that you've made and say, I love you. I will forgive your sin. I will change your life. Just every day, set apart some time to do that. And to celebrate God's grace in others, I want you to right now, in your mind, just picture the person that you would call family here, okay, Uh, brother and sister in Jesus Christ that just drives you crazy. Don't look at them. No elbows, don't check to see if they're sitting back there. I want you to ask God this week, to take your frustration of them and to switch it to a burden for them. God saves all kinds. All kinds. Only person that God doesn't give his grace to is the person who says, no thanks, I don't need it. But he offers it. And if we would say, yeah, I need that. He will do a work in our lives, and we need to keep coming back there again because we're never beyond the need of God's grace, ever. And honestly, as Bridgewater exists, and I say Bridgewater, what I mean is people, you and me. We exist to make Jesus known, to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. And if we are not in awe of what God has done in our lives, then why would we share anything? What do we have to talk about if we're not excited? Nothing. So let's ask God to once again wake us up to what he's done in our lives and to celebrate what he's done in other people's lives that we would together make a big impact for the kingdom of God. Would you pray with me? God, I, I confess I need your help. I, I prefer to criticize and judge than more than I do to celebrate your work in other people's lives. I, um, I just, it's, it's routine to me at times to be able to handle your word, to be able to be part of your church, what you're doing in the world today, and I just ask that you would wake me up, soften my heart, would you do the same for my friends in this room, that we would together be so excited and overwhelmed at your goodness in our lives, and it would just spill out into every conversation every choice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.